We are so grateful you've tuned in today to the Mountain View Church Sermon Podcast. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you believe, our prayer is that the next 30 to 40 minutes adds value to your life and leads you closer to God. If you ever want to join us in person, we would love to have you. For current worship times, location, and other ministry options, check out mtviewchurch.net. And now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Um, so yeah, those shirts do go with the sermon series that we're, we're in, and we're actually going to finish up today. As the shirt says, that the sermon uh, series is called The Way. And it really came from um, kind of two, two impulses, right? The first is that my kids and I love the show The Mandalorian. And so this graphic is kind of a play on that. It was like, man, we got to find a way as a church to sneak Mandalorian in there, right? Um, the second thing is the fact that historically we know that the earliest Christians, the earliest followers of Jesus did not refer to themselves as Christians. For some of us, this was really shocking. But the word three times in the whole Bible. And that's because that was a term that outsiders used to talk about these strange people who followed Jesus. The term that those who were actually following used was this term, the way. They saw it as way of life. And you go, well, where did, where did that come from? And we're not sure, but it probably came from something Jesus himself said. Okay, in John 14, chapter 6, maybe you've memorized or heard uh, other times in your life. He's, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about the fact that he's going to die and leave. And, but don't worry, like you're going to leave me and I'm preparing a place for you and all this stuff. And the disciples are confused. They're like, where are you going? And how are we going to get there? Like we don't even know the destination. So like how can we know the directions? And to that conversation, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some scholars say that you could translate this because it's not really clear in the original language. Some scholars say you could translate this as, I am the way to the truth and the life. And, and regardless of how we we read that, like Jesus is making it clear, like he is the way. He is the way to what our hearts long for. He is the way to, even if you can't consciously put words to it or verbalize it, I think all of us want to know the truth. Don't you want to know the truth? I think everybody wants to know the truth. I think everybody wants to live life fully alive, like to get to the end of our lives and say, man, I, I know what it's like to be fully alive. I know life. And again, whether you can verbalize it or not, I think everyone wants to know God want to know, like, is there something more than this? Is there something greater than just me in this world? I think everybody is, is hardwired to ask those kinds of questions. And Jesus says, I am the way to all of that. Like, my way is the way you get what your heart longs for. In fact, he says, I am the only way. That's the controversial part of that statement, isn't it? It was controversial when Jesus said it. It's even just as controversial now. If you don't think it is, just go up to somebody random and say, hey, I believe Jesus is the only way to God. See how that goes for you. You'll have a pretty interesting conversation with a lot of people. But how do we get there, right? How do we pursue the way? And on this series, we've kind of broken it down in three steps. And I would just say these, these steps are, are simple, but that doesn't make them easy, right? There's a difference. They're simple, but they're not easy. The first step we said was to follow, to just decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk life with Jesus. Step two, last week, we talked about belief. Step two is to believe, to believe that Jesus really is who he said he was. 
And today we're going to finish with step three. And I think this is the step where, where the magic happens, so to speak. I, I think this is the step where you actually see change happen in your life. The things you want to see happen in your life and in your family and in your, your country and all this. I think they actually happen at step three. Okay, step three of the way is to obey. It's obey. That's a kind of a nice ring to it. The first step of the way is to obey. Someone should write a song about that. Worship team, figure that out, all right? This is the practical part. This, is the, this isn't the like talking and journaling and sitting in a room and sharing. Like this is the what do you do with your life part. This is the action part. And so for some of us, it's like good. Like I'm a person of action. I wanna do stuff. This is good. And yet I would also say this is the part where we usually get hung up. This is the part where we decide whether we really want to keep following Jesus. And, and sometimes this is the part where we even get a little offended. And, you know, I think some of that is because we get the order backwards. I see this a lot where Christians, well-meaning Christians, well-meaning churches, it's almost like they're yelling at the world, they're yelling at society to act more Christian. Like, why don't, don't do that. Get your act together, <laughs> Stop it. Do this instead, right? You're, 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 you're telling people who aren't even following how to behave, right? Or, or maybe you've had a family member who, who somewhere in your life has kind of gotten this wrong and it's like they're expecting obedience from you and you weren't even sure if you believed yet. It's like, I don't know what I believe. Why, why should I live that way, right? Because the order matters. In fact, when you read the New Testament, this is the order you find, that, that people decided to follow Jesus and then on the path of following, they came to a point in their life where they realized and they believed that Jesus really was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, he was the Messiah, he was their, he was their savior. And then, only then, did they begin to reorient and, and reorganize their life around the teachings of Jesus. Okay, that is the order. It's, it's follow, believe, and then obey. And sometimes we, we flip that on people and we wonder why they don't get it. You see this even in the Old Testament too. This isn't just a, a Jesus idea. Um, in the Old Testament, most of us are probably familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? The big, the big Ten rules. And, and you think, well, yeah, those are the rules they had to follow. Like God, God gave them guidelines and, and, and rules. But when, when did God give them to them? Right? If, you, if you read the story that happens in the book of Exodus where those first show up, if you read it up until that point, God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's delivered them. He's protected them. Then they get into the desert and they're wandering around and God is providing food and drink for them and he's protecting them by day and night and leading them and all these things. And then, only then, did the Ten Commandments show up. So there was a lot of of leading and guiding and loving and giving and, and protecting. God didn't just show up to Israel and say, hey, I'm God. Here's the rules. He, they lived in relationship with each other. And then after a period and a season of giving and giving and protecting and protecting, then God gathers the people together. And he says, hey, if you want to live in relationship with me, a holy God, here's the way. Here's, here's some rules. See, with God, don't miss this, with God, relationship precedes rules. Sometimes we get this backwards. We want people to, to obey the rules, expect people to obey the rules before they really even have a relationship with God. 
But with God, it's the opposite. Relationship precedes the rules. You following me? Now, don't leave here, because I can see it. Don't leave here and go, yeah, I like that church. The pastor stood up and told us the rules don't matter. <laughs> like, just have a party. Like, do whatever you want. Mountain View, woo! That's not what I'm saying. Okay, the rules matter. The rules are important. But the reason the rules matter is because abiding by them, living by them, or how you get the life and the truth and the way. They're the the way God changes you and helps you become the person you want to be. It's the way that you live in relationship with him and and the way that what you want for your life really takes place. So I kind of put it this way, if you want to sum it up. You can't follow Jesus without ending somewhere different than where you started. We've talked about this, this idea of walking Following is this idea of just walking life with Jesus. And that sounds kind of like easy and fun. And it's like, yeah, I'm just living life with Jesus, you know? The the problem, though, is the longer you follow Jesus, you'll realize this, that you will end up different. You will become someone different. You will end up in a place that's not where you started. Personally, maybe relationally, a lot of different ways. So why don't we get in the word, right? Let's get into John chapter eight this morning. If you've got a Bible, it's the fourth book in there in the New Testament. It's the fourth biography of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And if, as always, if you're a Bible app user in the room or if you're watching online, we're glad that you're with us. Um, go to the Bible app, click on events and all of these scriptures, all of these points, and you can, you can put notes in there, which um, you could save that, by the way. Some of you said, hey, I, I put notes in there, and then the next week I went back to find them, and I can't find them anymore. So to do that, you need to save on the top right corner of that event. There's a button that says save, and I'm, I'm sharing that with you because some of you are going to be in a sermon-based group, and you may want to like save this event today or tomorrow and um, be able to go back and, and look at all that stuff. So little pro tip, there's a save button there. So John chapter 8 is one of my favorite stories. I, I say that every week, don't I? I just like the Bible. Let's just, whatever. All right. John 8, verse 2, says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, in, in the Gospels, but especially in John, anytime you see the phrase, the teachers of the law, or the law and the Pharisees, you should hear this sound in your head. Dun, dun, dun. Right, because that's the characters that they play in the story. They're like, oh no, the bad guys are here. Right, so let, can we just practice this a little bit? Let's just do this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Yeah, all right. That was so good. All right. The bad guys enter the scene, and they've brought in a woman who's been caught in adultery. They made her stand before the whole group. Can you imagine the shame of that? And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. That's the rules, Jesus. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, so there's a few things right off the bat that are just off about this story that you should go, wait a minute. The first is that the last time I checked, I'm not a biology major, but I think it takes two people to commit adultery. Is that right? I, I, I think so. I'm not going to go into the specifics, but I think that's how that works. And yet, how many people are standing before Jesus? 
one, right? Where's the guy? It's like, was he a buddy of them? Like they caught her in the act. Did they just let him go or what happened with that? Only the woman is here. So there's something fishy right off the bat. You go, something doesn't line up here. And then it says specifically in John, it says this was a trap. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that will incriminate himself so that they can put him on trial and eventually arrest and kill him, right? So this whole thing is a, is a setup. But it's clear that this offense did take place. Nowhere in the story is there any kind of denial, right? The woman doesn't deny it. She, she doesn't say, no, this is not true. And it, it says they caught her in the act. So they know she's guilty. She knows she's guilty. Jesus knows she's guilty. Like, this has happened. This has taken place. And I love what happens next, though. Okay, at the end of verse 6, it says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, like, are you going gonna to answer the question? You're going to tell us, right? When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. What's he writing on the ground? I'd love to know that, right? The Bible doesn't tell us. My, there's a lot of theories out there. My favorite though, my favorite theory is that Jesus is looking up and he's writing the names of the men standing there with the sins they've committed, Oh, you got a stone in your hand there, Peter. Guilty. Oh, yeah, I see you there. And he's writing. Wouldn't that be, that would be the most epic Jesus move, right? It, we don't know, but that could be what he's doing. Then he says, verse 9, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until... Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is just a powerful story. And I think the reason I love it so much is because it gives us like this fuller portrait of Jesus. It shows us the character of Jesus, like who he is at his core. And there's kind of two sides to it. It shows us that Jesus is compassionate. I mean, he, he so loves this woman. She's in a desperate situation. She's about to lose her life. She's made a mistake. She's being shamed publicly by these men. And Jesus shows up and he rescues her and he, he rescues her and he completely owns her accusers, Right? He shows them up and he shows her love. It's just amazing. But then on the other hand, Jesus is commanding. He's commanding of the people saying, hey, drop your stones. If you, if you think you're sinless, why don't you throw it? Right? He's commanding of those men. And then everyone drops their stones and it's just him and the woman. And Jesus makes it clear, listen, I, he loves this woman. There's no doubt about it, right? He loves her. He has compassion on her. He's just rescued her. He doesn't condemn her. He says, I don't condemn you. But then he makes this statement. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you think when the woman heard that, she said, 
Who do you think you are? Tell me how to live my life. How dare you judge me, Jesus? Think she said that? No, I think she sobbed uncontrollably and hugged him. I think she walked away with her head a little higher, with dignity and self-worth, with a new perspective and a new direction for her life. Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus is both compassionate and commanding. He rescues her, but he also holds her accountable. He doesn't condemn her. He he doesn't make her feel terrible about herself, but he also doesn't condone her sin and what she's done in her life. Jesus is both. He's both compassionate and commanding. He's full of both grace and truth. This is the Jesus way. When you talk about, I want to follow the way of Jesus, it's having both of these things. The way of Jesus is grace and truth. But what I've noticed, what I've seen in, in increasingly picking up speed in our culture and, and honestly, even in the church, is we, we tend to have one side of that equation we like better than the other. <laughs> there, there tends to be one side of Jesus that we're like, I like that. I don't really like that other part. Let me put it this way. Do you, do you like coffee? Who likes coffee? Wow, the 830 crowd was, had more than you guys did today, apparently. There you go, raise a glass. There we go. I love, this is the Northwest, man. We love coffee, right? And, and um, in fact, some of you have joked with me that you probably come back to church more often when we bring the coffee back. So <laughs> we're working on that. Uh, we'll figure that out. But um, there's been two gifts that my wife have given me over the years that honestly have just uh, changed my life, uh, changed our life together, actually. Uh, the, the first of which has nothing to do with coffee. The, the, the first is called the magic tree stand. I think I've talked about this before, but um, if you're like us and you, you tend to go and get a real Christmas tree every year and put that up, but you worry that your marriage can't make it another season of that, you're thinking that might be the end if we have to go try to get that tree perfectly on the stand again, like that could be it for us. The magic tree stand will save your marriage. Tree genie? Sorry, the tree genie. Okay, you need to run, not walk to Amazon. It's expensive, but it's worth it if it saves your marriage. Buy the magic tree genie, okay? That thing, if, she hadn't, if we hadn't found that, like we would be, it'd be fake trees for the rest of our lives, okay? The second thing, um, and it was actually this year for my birthday, Cassie got me an AeroPress. Do any of you own an AeroPress for your coffee? A few people, all right. Wow, it's just us. We gotta, we gotta change this in our church. This makes an incredible cup of coffee. Um, it's a little more time and energy. Uh, it takes some patience. It's a little slower process. It's not as quick, right? But it makes a really good cook. Now, when, I, when I'm in a hurry, and I mean, I've, I've still got three kids at home and young kid, and I'm busy, and so the Keurig's fine. I mean, how many people love the Keurig? Pop one in, just hit it, whatever. Like, it doesn't make amazing coffee. We know that, right? But it's fast. Fast doesn't make good coffee. Slow does. But who cares? Sometimes you just need some caffeine and you just need some coffee. So I don't judge you. I don't condemn you if you use the Keurig. You know who I openly judge? Forgive me, Lord. I judge people who say they like coffee and then tell Dutch bros is their favorite. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit speaking to some of you right now. 
that's not coffee. You don't like coffee. You like sugar. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, we would have coffee out sometimes left over from church on Sunday on Wednesday nights. And so the teens would see it and they'd be like, oh, good, we have coffee. And I'm like, you're like 15, you like coffee? And they're like, oh, I love coffee. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I watch, they get a cup. This, is, this has got black coffee in it. It's pretty good. We'll try it. It's getting a little cold, but not too bad. They're like, oh, I love coffee, Pastor Mike. I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, go ahead and have your cup. And they, they pour your cup. Then they're like, I love coffee. Just love coffee. Love coffee. A little vanilla in it, a lot of vanilla in there. Stir that up. That's good. Like three packs of Splenda, you know, a little pumpkin spice, all the things in there. Then they're like, you know, I don't think that's enough, Pastor Mike. I love coffee, man. I just love coffee. Just dump that in there. Mmm, coffee's so good. I just love coffee. Love coffee. Wow. (laughs) You don't love coffee. You love sugar. That's no longer coffee. Right? You've added all this stuff to it. You've watered it down. You've you've sugared it up. You don't love coffee. This is not coffee. We do the same thing with Jesus when we choose sides between compassion and commanding, between grace and truth. We we sugar him up a little bit. We make him how we want him to be so that we can drink him. We, We make him more vanilla so that he doesn't stand out too much, so that he doesn't require things of us that run counter to the culture, so that we fit in at work or we fit in with our friends or whatever it is. And we go from actually following Jesus to a version of Jesus that we've created, a version of Jesus which can't save us because it's not Jesus. It's our version of Jesus. Are you with me? I, I, I see this all the time. I see this, and we do it in so many different ways, but it doesn't show up in our beliefs, right? And this is the thing about the way. It doesn't show up in step two, because we still say, like, no, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe he died for my sins, and um, you might even say, I believe Jesus is Lord. Where it shows up is, is in our obedience or lack thereof. It shows up in the way that we live. We say Jesus is Lord, but we live as if we are. That's not Jesus. That's a watered down version of Jesus. Now, beliefs are important. Next week, um, we're actually going to start a new series that's going to take us all the way to Christmas on the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's, it's one of the oldest kind of core um, statements of belief of the church. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. These are the core beliefs that we agree to. And I'm really excited about that. I think beliefs are really important. I've been studying it for months. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, beliefs, beliefs matter to me. But creeds don't reveal what you believe. Your actions do. Creeds are only worth the paper they're written on if they don't change the way that you live, if they don't change the way that you see yourself and see the world and how you treat others and and what you do and you don't do. Like, that's where belief matters. It's in how it shapes how you live. 
So in Matthew 16, we get this famous confession by Peter, right? Everyone's talking about, you know, who Jesus is. Is he, is he John the Baptist? Some people say, no, I think he's Elijah or he's like a prophet like Jeremiah. And everybody's kind of, you know, who is Jesus? And so Jesus asks his closest followers, the 12, who do you say I am? Everybody else is talking. What do you guys think? And Peter, like Peter does, we've talked about this. Peter's like, I'm going to speak up. I'm going I'm to take a shot at this. And Peter says in Matthew 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, bingo, you nailed it. That's right, Peter. Okay, so, G, so, so Peter has the right belief about the identity of Jesus in Matthew 16, okay? Now watch this, just the very next scene, this is like just a few verses after that. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, Peter's just said, you're the Christ. I believe you're the son of the living God. Jesus is like, okay, here's what's gonna happen next. And then here's Peter's response. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So <laughs> Peter, this is crazy. Peter goes from this amazing confession of faith, this belief in the identity of Jesus, which is correct, a correct belief. And a few verses later, he's telling Jesus what to do. That's crazy, right? I think you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Lord of my life. Jesus, come on here. Let me, let me just, you're not gonna do that. Here's a better plan, Jesus. This is how this should go, Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is, the next step is gonna involve suffering. It's gonna be hard. I'm gonna die. Peter's like, nope, not on my watch. I have a better idea, Jesus. Which causes Jesus to say this. This is another famous verse, verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny them, pick up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's both compassionate and commanding, which means that because he's compassionate, because he loves us, there will be times when he puts his finger on things in your life and just says, man, that is not God's best for you. That is not what I want for you. That is not the way to live your life. And if you want to experience the way to the truth and the life, I'm, I'm just telling you, like, here's the playbook. Here's the rules. And, and, we, and this is usually, again, this is the point where we have to decide, do we want to follow? Do we really believe? Because some of us just say, well, I don't really like that plan. I, I like my plan better. My plan's way more fun than that one, Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, but you're not going to follow me then. Like there's a, there's a point where it's like following and believing means obeying. And, and if not, like if you go like, well, I don't, really, I don't really agree with what the Bible says about that, or I don't really agree what Jesus says about that. It's like, okay, well, 
You could turn back and you can go your own way, but just realize all of us, we all accept authority of some kind in our life. We, we tend to think as Americans that we're free and to be free means to just choose to do whatever you want. That's actually not freedom. If you, if you go, hey God, I don't, really, I don't really agree with your authority. I'm gonna go do things the way I wanna do them. Then, then what you're saying is you know more about life than the creator of it. And what tends to happen is you tend to just live a way that the rest of society says is okay or whatever the majority view is on a certain thing, you just go like, well, that, that must be the way. Or, well, my friends think X, so I'm just gonna do that. Like, none of us are just this, this, we don't live in a vacuum where we all decide to just be free from all constraints. Like, all of us live under some kind of authority, some kind of constraint. The question is, is which one is right and which one is best? And if you believe it's Jesus, then you will, you will deny yourself, he says. You will, you will die to yourself. And you'll say, whatever you want, Jesus, I obey. In fact, it's not on the screen, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in God must walk as Jesus did. So if you want to believe, you say, I, I'm a Christian, I believe X, then you have to live like Jesus did. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy, is it? It's simple, but it's not easy. I want you to hear from someone this morning that I think has been uh, doing her best to, to live this out. Um, I think she'd be the first to tell you she's not perfect and doesn't have it all figured out, but I've seen God just kind of change her and do a work in her life, and she's been just doing her best to obey and go where God wants her to go, and I think she'd be the first to tell you that following Jesus means you end up in a place that's different than where you started, right, Brooklyn? <laughs> so why don't you come up and share with us a little bit, Brooklyn Peterson. Oh, where did our mic go? Oh, you don't even need me. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so again, my name is Brooklyn Peterson. I may, may have met some of you, maybe not. Um, but yeah, uh, I started attending this church in about 2017, and I kind of lost my way as I was going. But uh, about a year ago, um, I decided that well, the Lord decided for me, uh, for YWAM. Uh, I went there for a year. I did two schoolings. It's called Youth with a Mission. YWAM is short for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I did two schoolings with them. And the first schooling that I did um, revolved around like discipleship. Um, I call it heart surgery. Uh, we had different speakers come in on and talking on like identity and uh, spiritual warfare and the heart of the father, different topics coming in. And so that did a lot through me. Um, and yeah, it involved a lot of like getting into the, the Bible, uh, doing worship together, doing intercession and uh, like inter interceding for the nations, praying for the nations. We did a lot of that. Um, and basically they're just equipping us to be able to go out and reach the unreached. And so I had an opportunity to go to Albania after that. Um, with there, we partnered with churches, and we got to do, like, different projects, working on different um, buildings and just, like, restoring buildings and even restoring the, the people, too, as well. We got plenty of opportunities to go and do open-air evangelism. Um, we got to share with the, quite a bit of people, and a lot of people came to the Lord in those times. And uh, after that, I did plan on coming home, but the Lord's like, nope, you're doing a second schooling. And I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> And uh, the second schooling I did was more based off of leadership. And so I got to take on lots of roles like the staff would normally do. And so um, 
they prepared us to do sermons, and so I've done a lot of sermons, and we did a lot of uh, intercession again, and worship, and just di really digging deep into the Bible as well. And so for that, um, after that happened, I got to go to Ukraine, and that was the second one I got to go to. And uh, Ukraine actually was the big one. I really was like, Lord, okay, I'm going to give you my yes going to Ukraine. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to give you my yes. And uh, a lot of breakthrough. I got a lot of breakthrough in Ukraine. Um, a lot happened. And one day in particular, um, we were doing open-air evangelism. We were doing a drama on the gospel and sin. And uh, this guy, he was, he was intoxicated. You can tell he wasn't very much there, but he wouldn't leave either. And so our whole team prayed for him. We were asking the Lord to make him sober, that he would sober up. And um, as time went by, some of our guys went over and talked to him and prayed for him and just tried to share with him about things. And uh, we actually asked him if he wanted to come back to the church that we were going to right after we were done. And he was like, yeah, I'll come. And uh, he wasn't there quite much, but um, he ended up coming back with us. And as we were going back, you could tell like he was sobering up a lot faster than anybody normally would. And we knew the Lord was working in that time. And um, yeah, he ended up getting his backpack and he grabbed out his alcohol and his cigarettes. And he was like, I've been addicted to this and I'm done with this. And he ended up throwing it in the trash. And uh, as we kept going, we were, we were on the church and he ended up giving his life to the Lord. And that was all because my team said, yes, we're going to go to Ukraine. And yes, we're going we're gonna to go out and we're going to do this today. And when we give our, the Lord our yes, we see fruit and we see the things that he does in other people's lives and in our lives too. So I challenge you guys to say yes to the Lord today, to see what he'll do with that, even though it may be scary. He's going to do wonderful things with that. And I'll pray for you guys. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the church, for the people. I pray that you would lead, lead us at each step that we take, God, that we be sensitive to your voice, to the Holy Spirit, and what you're saying to us. What do you want us to do next, God? I thank you that you're going to be working through us and you're going to be stirring the hearts of the people and the fruit that's going to come out of that. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. With it. Yeah. It's cool to see someone's like from the youth group back in the day and I was like going all over the world and sharing about Jesus with other people. Like, super proud of you makes me that just makes me goosebumps you know um if you want to know more about YWAM too you know make sure you talk with her today and and just get some more information about that I want to close with this there's an interesting passage in Matthew 26 that again centers on Peter like he this guy can't get out of the way of, of the story like he's just always in the middle of everything you know and Jesus has been arrested he's about to go on trial and and here's what it says those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, I'd be the last person to judge Peter. Who, who am I to say I would be any different or I would have reacted any different in the moment? But there's a line in there that I read this week that I just never really focused much on, but it just like, God put his finger on it and said, you need to sit on this for a minute. It's where it says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Never noticed that before. 
And I wonder how many of us would just say, like, that's, that's where we're at. We're following out a distance. Maybe we used to be closer, and there's, now there's a gap. Or, or maybe we've never really been close. We've just always kind of kept God at arm's length. And we would just say, I'm following at a distance. We're, we're following, we want to, but there's a gap, right? There's too much space between us and Jesus. And the gap, the way to close that gap is the path of obedience. Right? If God feels distant to you, you know, it's probably because there's a gap, not always, but there's probably a gap like Peter between your confession and your conduct. And the way you close that gap is to line those two more closely together. You begin to live the things that he's taught you. And you step into that space and you close the distance through obedience. In fact, right after this is where Peter denies even knowing Jesus. You know that story. Three times people are like, hey, do you know Jesus? And he's like, never heard of him. And he completely acts like he's never been with Jesus. And for me, it's just that illustration of like, the longer I let that distance sit there, the more it grows and the bigger the gap gets. And it just gets worse. So I wanna, I wanna challenge you to close the gap through obedience this week. What's something God's called you to do that you've been putting off or something you're doing that you know God doesn't want you to do or whatever it is. Like say yes, as Brooklyn was saying, say yes to what God wants for you and follow through with your actions, with your behavior. I don't want to lead a church full of people who follow Jesus from a distance. I don't want to be a pastor who follows Jesus from a distance. I want to be right on his heels. And that doesn't show up in our beliefs. It shows up in our actions. We're going to close. We're going to sing a song that many of us have probably sung before over the years as kind of our way of closing this series. I think it expresses exactly what this series is about and what I hope that you'll express in your heart to him. So if you'll stand with us as we sing, and then we'll be, we'll be done.